Hey, I'm Shane. I'm Amy. And this week on Deep Dive, we are going to be talking about making the best of life in Babylon, Mm -hmm. uh, what it means to put down roots, invest in the here and now, even though things might not be going great. So we are in Jeremiah 29, verses 1, and then 4 through 7. The title of this is Disturbing Hope. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. Um, well, I, I found this to be very you saying that. difficult to, yeah. to, to deal with, to think about um, them get, receiving this message, having been taken into exile. Mm-hmm. So, for, so for the sermon, just really briefly, I began even before I read the scripture with kind of a, a very sweeping history of kind of God's relationship with the world and Israel. Okay. Um, leading up to then really the Assyrians kind of coming in with the Northern Kingdom and then the I mean, Babylon. Yeah, you're going through it all. And then yeah. the Babylonians coming in uh, and destroying the temple in 587. Uh, and that being kind of the, the context for which this message is delivered mm-hmm. to these exiles and how incredibly difficult that would be to hear, and not a very welcome message from Jeremiah. Yeah, I often wonder about the prophet Jeremiah. Like, you know, I, I guess we're taught in there's certain scripture that, like, prophets are not necessarily revered, but mm-hmm. yet there's other parts that are revered. And Jeremiah in particular is an interesting one because he, he does not mince words. No. No, and and so actually, when so when this message is delivered right after it, um, Jeremiah tells them that they're going to be in this exile in Babylon for seventy years, and so that not mincing words actually is really interesting because if you back up right before our scripture into chapter twenty eight, there's a false prophet who's been telling the exiles, oh, don't worry, you're going to return home in probably about two years. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's Hananiah. And Jeremiah ends up saying, you have been telling lies to God's people, and this very year you're going to die. And he flat (laughs) dies within that year. So Jeremiah does not mince words for sure. I I had a professor that was... um he would he would encourage us, although not for use in the pulpit, you'll see why, to encourage Jeremiah using the full weight of his language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and he was arguing that some of Jeremiah's terminology in Hebrew could basically be construed as uh, profanity. Mm-hmm. That he's, you know, particularly when he's talking about relationships with other gods sure. and things like that. And uh, man, if you would want to see some eyes wide open on a Sunday morning, translate Jeremiah using yeah. the full force of his words. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I've wondered, I've understood that, he, you know, he's calling this exile, gives them a clear vision of it. And yet he's offering them, 
in some ways advice that they don't want to hear. You Absolutely. Know, you know, get used to it, get settled in. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, you know, obviously for most of us, especially like in the context of the folks that we had here on Sunday, do not know, you know, what that sort of exile would be like and likely mm-hmm. will never no. Um, but one of the things that we talked about kind of during the sermon and had conversations about before and after um, was those, those times in our life where we may feel like we are still in exile, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, everything kind of going on in our own country and mm-hmm. world now and not really understanding, will things ever be familiar mm-hmm. to me again? Will we ever not be divided? And then within our, our own personal lives, too. Um, you know, my life, our lives not turning out the way that we hoped they would or that we expect they would, whether that's through a job loss or a diagnosis or some other breakdown of relationship with people. Um, and this being the kind of message that we too receive, like we'll con- continue to plant, continue to build. Um, and, you know, I can definitely see that not being a very welcome message, even to us. And that was part of my own struggle, um, trying to plan and think about how to deliver this message. And, and for me, um, a lot of that came down to um, one word in the translation, and that's um, translated as welfare in the common oh, yeah. English, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's shalom. And, oh, interesting. And it, yeah. so that's talking about the holistic flourishing mm-hmm. of people that, you know, God is saying, you know, pray for the welfare of yeah. Babylon because your welfare depends on it. Pray for their shalom because your shalom yeah. depends on it. It's such an interesting word in Hebrew because our most of our Bibles will translate that as peace. Yes. And then as particularly as Western Christians, we have such a narrow definition of peace. Absolutely. Uh, that gives you, that's an interesting tool to be able to get people to see it has such this wider, this wider interpretation that clearly right. he doesn't mean absence of war. Absolutely. And so therefore it demands a different exactly. word. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I also find that it, it could be a theologically tricky way to preach because sure. we have so much of the New <laughs> Testament. How do you hold... How do you hold this, like, you know, work for the welfare of the city on one hand, mm-hmm. which talks about investing in the future, investing in the future, you're here for this long haul. And in the same regard, we just are dealing a couple weeks ago with this uh, a Jesus that is asking people to sell everything and sure. give it all away. And it's such an interesting, like... I don't know. I, I don't. There's there's something probably to be learned in that tension there. I don't have the wisdom to see it today, right. but no, we got to yeah. recognize that that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that I brought up in the sermon actually was Jesus um, talking about being willing to lay down your life for mm-hmm. your friends, um, and how there's some giving up in that. Yeah. And we, you know, a lot of times when we think about that, take that to the far extreme. But there's a lot of things that we give up for others mm-hmm. so that they can receive shalom. And then in turn, we do too. Yeah. So, you know, we love even when it's not convenient. Um, we're there for people even when it's not convenient. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that also it it's good that you did all that contextual history, but even I realize it's something I, I, I will probably never experience in my life, even in my, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to compare, but for them, that exile, it's not just a spiritual exile yes. because there's not this disconnect that we experience. You know, we could be, right. we could have a spiritual exile, or spiritual exile at the same time. We're probably doing the best we've ever done career wise. Mm-hmm. You know, for them, those things are wed because they're literally the people of God, literally in the promised land. They're God's chosen, God's favored, and they lose it all. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to, 
It'd be yes. hard to even impress upon people the severity of that. Yeah, and especially with the destruction of the temple, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that being the place that you go to worship God, God's presence is there and active. And um, in the Sunday school class that I teach, kind of talking about these verses beforehand, I said that we can't possibly understand this really, because even if we came to this place, to this church on a Sunday morning and the building was gone, that would be devastating, of course, um, if something had happened to it. But that still would not be kind of the full force of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem for these people who were then thrown into exile. Mm-hmm. I'm curious there in verse 6 where his advice is get married, have children. Mm-hmm. Then help your sons uh, find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that may, may to have children. I'm, I'm curious, this is, and maybe there's not even an answer here because this is, um, this is such a tricky area in Israel's history. So when he's saying get married, is, is the assumption there? And I'm curious that the common mm. comment is the assumption there that like you should only get married to fellow Israelites. Ah, interesting. Uh, or not, because certainly we have to deal particularly with the northern kingdom and sure. the, you know, marrying people, marrying Assyrians and things like that, which mm-hmm. becomes such this enormous issue later when you're dealing with Samaritans and an, an enormous issue when the Israelites come back from exile, right. where they're literally warring with the people that mm-hmm. intermix. Um, I'm, I'm curious here, um, you know, it doesn't play a major thematic role. Maybe the mere fact of being in isolation in Babylon creates that separation effect, but it is an interesting thing to consider. Are they marrying fellow Babylonians? Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't really know, particularly as Persia takes over and, you know, there's such a softer stance towards religion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think it's interesting there. If you keep reading in in that verse six, increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. (laughs) So I think there's this kind of, I I talked about it being like, this is a long game message, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't get so caught up in how terrible everything is right this very minute that you stop looking towards the future. And so that, that, you know, this, these people of God, you know, dwindle away in number because they're, Mm -hmm. you know, saying, we're, we're, we're not happy. We've been taken away from our land and, you know, yeah. everything that we know. Um, so I think it's a, a me- it's a long game kind of message. Yeah. It is interesting that it's within this context too, that you are, see the rise of the synagogue. Yes, so like absolutely. This, yeah. Did you talk about that in the sermon? I didn't, but I talked about it in Sunday school. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, the synagogue, which is so central to the, um, you know, the founders of the way that are following Jesus in those early years, they literally just can't share their message without the synagogue. And yet the synagogue really in the grand scheme of Israel is like this late developing, you know, and it develops in this context, which is just so interesting. It's like this centralized faith faith around the temple, temples Mm -hmm. destroyed. Correct. And then all of a sudden the decentralization, in fact, probably leads to a net growth of the faith, you know, which is really, which is really interesting. It absolutely is. So that you've got this kind of like, almost like a Phoenix kind mm-hmm. of experience of the temple is gone, but we, you know, we are God's people and we want to continue in this worship. And ha- mm-hmm. how do we work that out in these kind of situations that we didn't expect to find ourselves? And then you get rise to this kind of rabbinic tradition in the synagogues and, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, it's a kind of new day yeah. for God's people. So looking forward, if you were going to like offer people take home steps of like, what are the, what are the things you would say, you know, these are the practical things you can do as a result mm-hmm. of engagement of this. Where, where do you sort of fall on that one? Yeah. So one of the, the kind of main themes was being for the city. 
being mm-hmm. for the city. You know, we talk a lot about cult, you know, culture and how we relate to culture, but I encourage people to think about their own city, mm-hmm. to think about where they are planted, where we are planted as a church, where you are planted, where you live in your neighborhood. And um, just listening is one of those very first steps, like paying attention to the needs around you and mm-hmm. the places that, that you can help plant and that you can help nurture and that you can help grow. And we can do those sorts of things even in our own neighborhood. And this church um, has a long history of caring about those sorts of things, caring about the community and and the world. So I think just paying attention and getting engaged where you are with what you have right now. For recommendations this week, we're going to give you things that you can dive in later. Uh, This is our third time trying this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I was going to recommend something else, but uh, I thought of this book I read years ago called The Story of God, Story of Us by Sean Gladding. Uh, And they tell some of these stories like the Genesis creation story and others within the original context that people would have heard them. Mm -hmm. So, for example, they were in Babylon sitting around a fire, a rabbi telling it to him. It's interesting. It makes it much more affecting. The New Testament, it's told within the idea of a secreted house church Mm -hmm. Uh, and and the rumors about you being a Christian with other people. And so it really makes these verses come alive. It's super accessible. It's going to make you read the Bible and fall in love with the Bible in totally different ways. Uh, because it just is really disarming. I, I remember loving it years ago. And so I can't recommend it enough. The Story of God, Story of Us by Sean Gladding. Awesome. So for something completely different, I have a television show to okay. recommend. <laughs> and this is a new show on Amazon. And it's called Modern Love. Have you seen this yet? I have yet? seen the previous. Oh. Full, of, full of many a movie star. Yes, yes, many a movie star. And what I love about it, though, is they're taking real-life stories Hmm. from people who live in New York. That's um, right. I believe this was based on like a Vanity Fair yes. series of articles years yep. ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So not only are there you know multitude of famous people in it, but I think they do a really good job kind of showing real life. Um, and I love that every episode is a different story. So you can kind of pop in and pop out. You know, you can watch all of them at one time or you can watch them one at a time and kind of think about and digest what is it saying about love. Hmm. What is it saying about relationships and, you know, are there, are there things that we can learn from it? But also it's just really fun. So like a good advertisement for Amazon, right? You know, watch Correct. this get Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's our intent here, just to drive, drive purchasing content. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Uh, if you want links to the sermon or notes or resources, any of the things we talked about this, just look below down in uh, the notes for this video and you'll find links to all those things. Uh, see you next week on Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. Awesome. Bye-bye.